All right, you guys got quiet all of a sudden. Good job. So my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Parkview. It's a great honor, privilege to be out here with you. If I could give you a couple of quick like Parkview overview things. Um, this weekend, there was a retreat for junior high and high school kids. Lori and I had the privilege of uh, being part of that. So a little bit of less energy today maybe than otherwise. Um, and the whole weekend, the theme was about God's plan for love, sex, dating, marriage, um, so some great topics, great conversations. Um, Lori and I got to firsthand see our volunteer leaders and what they're doing uh, with our students. Uh, and it was, they just did a phenomenal job. So um, if you're kind of newer to the student ministry concept, I, I think one thing the group is trying to do is set up smaller Bible study groups that kids can get into that meet throughout the week and then do these larger group things like retreats and they do a weekly deal on Sunday nights that any kid from any campus can go to. But uh, kind of keep your eyes open for groups starting out here in North Liberty. I know Lori is leading a seventh grade girls group, for example, and different groups like that. So I also say that like if some of you guys are looking for a place to serve, you feel like you connect well with junior high and high school kids, we'd love to get you connected with that ministry. It's, it's uh, bearing fruit and it's, it's a really cool place to serve. So, and then last night there was a Faith Academy banquet. That's the school. Uh, that, that Parkview started uh, six years ago or so, uh, raised about $200,000 last night by God's grace. So there was about f- almost 500 people at this. So yeah, praise God for that. So keep praying. Their operating budget, budget is 800000 So like we're excited, but it's called Faith Academy for a reason. Uh, there's always faith behind how we pull this off. But they were giving some of the, the numbers that have been happening. So there's about 90 students involved about 90, 85 to 90% of them are free and reduced lunch students, uh, but their reading proficiency this year at the school is about 71%, which is really good. Uh, it's a one to 15 class size uh, and faith-based, you know, Jesus at the center of the curriculum, uh, great faculty. So we have amazing schools in the, in the Iowa City Public School District, but it's, it's awesome to provide a, a place like Faith Academy as well. So if you've never been there, you, need, you should hit an open house or just get there and see what's going on, but just praising God for all that. So on the personal note this week, I had to go to an eye appointment. I hate those. Like, uh, so my glasses are scratched and usually I just like, can I just use the old prescription and they don't let you do that, I guess. So I went to the place I go. I've always had good opticians. And one thing that's weird, like if you ever noticed, like uh, in this particular place, uh, the parking slots are pretty small anyway. Like, I'm thinking if there's a place you would want really wide uh, parking slots, wouldn't it be at the eye place? You know, like you think they'd be like super wide. So, uh, and I get in there and this, it's, I, I forgot, I should have known by now how stressful those meetings are. Like when, you, you know, they got the things right here and he's going one or two. And like, you're doomed. Like you think like if you pick the wrong one, then your glasses are gonna be like this thick and you're stuck with them. <laughs> for the next four years because you can't afford glasses every year, you know, so it's the most stressful exam I think I've ever taken in my life, you know, and so one, two, three, four, and I'm never sure, like I feel like I'm wasting the guy's time, and apparently I've had an astigmatism for a long time, and that's when your lens apparently is shaped like a football, so it ha- I had it as a little kid, it's not because I've watched too much football, and then my eyes turned into one, but it's, uh, that's my issue, I have an astigmatism, and had the most random question he asked me this time. It's like, when you were delivered as a baby, were you delivered with tongs? It's like, what the heck? Just because I have astigmatism doesn't mean you can ask me questions about my birth or whatever. So kind of a stressful time, but it's interesting. Um, 
that we're talking about seeing today. We're talking about Jesus being, that's my connection there, Jesus being the light of the world. And so if you have a Bible, turn to John 8. We're going to start in verse 12. And uh, I love this I Am series. Somebody asked me, what are we doing now? What's our series? We're taking, uh, we're going through the Gospel of John and focusing on, there were seven times where Jesus said, I am, and then there was a predicate after that. And so today it's, I am uh, the light of the world. And I thought, like, all of these, you're going to see, the Gospel of John was written by Jesus' closest friend on the planet, uh, one of the disciples named John. And John is one of the books of the Bible that just flat out tells you why it was written. He says in John 20, 31, these things I've written to you in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you can have life in his name. So, like, it's right there in front of us. Why should I read John? We're going to see that Jesus is God and that he wants to give us life. In fact, in John is where Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the full. Okay, so, so these seven I am statements are kind of like Jesus' invitation to a wide crowd to say, come and see who I am. Come and see the life that I want to offer you. And so I just thought for this topic, especially how relevant it is for us, because I, it is so weird to be in our country today, I think. Like, so on one hand, if we would just wake ourselves up, we are some of the most prosperous people that ever lived on this planet, ever walked on this planet, as far as things available for us, the stuff we have, the conveniences we have. But it seems like at the same time, our country is sinking into deeper and deeper darkness. And that's a, that's a, that's a theme you see throughout the scripture of light versus darkness. And darkness often communicates confusion or lostness or foolishness or even just evil, okay? And so, and so you just, when you talk about light and dark, you just kind of look at our world today. And in spite of all that we have, it seems like times are getting darker and darker. In the United States, uh, we've, since World War I, we've been trending up in life expectancy. Like, in, you look around World War I, there was a huge flu epidemic and then a lot of war casualties. So you, you can see why maybe life expectancy wasn't ra ra raising in those years. But in the last two years, it's the first time since World War I that that, that rise has started to fall. And so two of the biggest reasons, uh, two of the, the newest causes of death that are tr trickling into our country today are opioid overdose, like drug, drug overdose from opioids primarily, and then uh, suicide at all spans of age, not just you know, a certain one, but kind of consistently throughout all the age spans, uh, there's a rise in suicide, and that's contributing to this downward turn. So again, you scratch your head and go, well, we're so prosperous, we have so much, but it seems like times are so dark, what's, what's going on? And, there's a phrase I'm becoming more and more familiar with, and we talked about it with the students this weekend, because it really does influence how we think about love, sex, dating, marriage. And it's this phrase called expressive individualism. And that phrase is that for you to find your identity, for you to find your meaning, your satisfaction in life, you need to look inside of yourself. Like, look within to see who you are. And that's where you will find. And so, um, I'm, my, my, I have a daughter that's an RA at UNI, and so she keeps me up to date on her training. A couple weeks ago, she was trained that she can't ask a pregnant woman if you're going to have a boy or a girl because the mom doesn't decide that. It's the baby's choice once the baby is born to make that decision, okay? And then the other day, this was, I wish I could have taken a picture of my dad's face. My parents had never been to UNI to see her, so I met my mom and dad at UNI, and we went to see Bethany's floor and all of her bulletin boards and all this. So they, some, they asked, how many students do you have, Bethany? She said, well, I have 50, there's 50 girls and six animals. 
<laughs> my dad went, six animals? And he's like, yeah, there's two cats, there's two birds, no, three cats, two birds, and a snake. And, and my dad was like, why? Are they, well, those are comfort animals, dad. Like those, they're allowed to have them to bring comfort. I could just read my dad's face. Like if, it, <laughs> if you're looking to a cat for comfort, like you're, you're struggling. And so I'm not disrespecting if any of you have cat comfort pets. Like I, I'm not a cat person, I'm a dog person. But like I could just read my dad, but he was holding back. And it's just like, yeah, dad, that's kind of where we are today. And so not, I'm so, like, okay. I am the most broken man in this room. I am the greatest sinner in this room. I am not judging anybody in any of this. But in his love, Jesus would say this to us about that whole concept. Like in Mark 7, 21 to 23, he describes, what are you going to see when you look in your heart? He says, from within, out of the heart of people comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Boom. Like, is there a reason why there's more and more darkness? Is there a reason why there's more and more foolishness in our country? If that's where we're looking for our identity or for our hope, or if that's where we're looking to find life, we're in big trouble. Okay, so step Jesus into this morning. Step Jesus, my prayer is, into more and more of our country. And let Jesus speak to us this morning when he says, I am the light of the world. So let me pray. And you're just going to see how timely, even though he said that, hundreds of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, it is so relevant to us today to see who is Jesus and what is he offering as an alternative to looking into ourselves to find out who we are and to find life. So let me pray and we'll jump into it. So, uh, so Father, we're here in your presence. Uh, we're here to worship you. Uh, Jesus, uh, we are amazed at who you are. Thank you for being a gracious Savior that you'll accept any of us, even uh, the greatest sinner in this room, and that's me. And so thank you for your compassion, your goodness. And I pray this morning you would teach us what it means that you are the light of the world. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, so John eight twelve it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, and I just want to give us the backdrop here a little bit. Jesus is at a big uh, ceremony, a big celebration in Jerusalem, and it's called the, the Festival of the Tents. And what the Festival of the Tents was, it was a time where God's people celebrated where for 40 years they wandered through the wilderness, through a lot of desert land, and in that wandering, God provided them water, God provided them his presence, like he, he led them with a pillar of fire, and they literally lived in tents. And so to celebrate that time, uh, God's people would gather in the temple, and there would be a time of, of fountains pouring out water, and they would draw water from that. That was a part of this festival. Then the next phase was there were candelabra set up all over a temple courtyard, and they would light these up. And remember, this is a city without electricity, and so during these seven days, these candelabras lit up on the temple at the top of a hill would literally light up just a huge part of Jerusalem. Like, this was a huge... Uh, time of celebration. In fact, of all the celebrations on the Jewish calendar, this one is just uh, best described as just being a joyous time. In fact, one of the, the Talmud is, is a commentary on, on Jewish practice in that day, and they said something like, if you have never seen a festival of lights, you have never experienced joy. And so like when the lights were lit, there was just celebration and dancing. And, and again, it was commemorating, remember when God was with our people and he led us 
through the wilderness. And so, and then the next part of the celebration was for seven days and people would literally build little tents and would, would stay in them. And so, and so that's the context in which Jesus is speaking. And so if you go back a little bit in your Bible to, to John 7 and verse 35, while they're drawing the water to remember that part, that's where Jesus makes a, a he just kind of yells out to them, <laughs> kind of a break in the moment and break in the activities. And he invites himself, he says that uh, he is, um, if anybody is thirsty, come to him and he will give them drink. Okay, so he's already made that statement. That's why in verse 12 it says, again, Jesus spoke to them. So when they lit up the candelabras and while everybody's celebrating, that's when Jesus somehow again in the lull of the moment or somehow he proclaimed out loud. And that's when he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So guys, what Jesus just did was made an incredibly bold statement, like right in the middle of the most festive time where they're clearly thinking about God being the one who gave them water, God being the one who was the glory, the fire that they followed through the wilderness. Jesus is stepping into that moment and saying, hey, if you want water, come here, you know, or hey, if you want to see who the light of the world is, here I am, follow me and then I will give you the light of life. Like, those are incredibly bold statements. Maybe uh, just, I think I'll read these, just to give you a couple uh, glimpses of background. So if you go back to the book of Exodus, where it was describing what this pillar of fire meant to God's people, just, just listen and just grab the, as I'm reading it, like, why would this have been such an important thing to God's people? Okay, so Exodus 13, 21 says, "'The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, to lead them along the way, and by night, by a pillar of fire, to give them light, so they might travel by day and by night. Guys, if you've ever been, we've had the privilege, uh, Lorraine and I have been, to be in, Isra- in Israel and in Jordan, and I mean, there's some just vast uh, areas of just desert, and you can imagine in the dark, like, where are you going to go, and who's going to protect us, and how meaningful it was for God's people to undeniably have the presence of God with you, with this pillar of fire. And then verse, chapter 14 in Exodus, verse 19 and 20, talk about this. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it, was, uh, and, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. In other words, this pillar not only gave them direction and light in a very dark place, but it also protected them from the host of Egypt. And if you, you guys preached through Exodus, I think last year, if you remember back in that time, like when, when God's people were rescued from Egypt, uh, God's pillar of fire was a protection for them from the Egyptians coming to attack them. So you can see why this was such a day of celebration. They're remembering how awesome God was in the past to give them direction, to give them victory and deliverance and to protect them and to be with them. But Jesus is saying, you know what, you guys, that was true for our people hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but here I am. Like, I am the light of the world. Follow me now, and you will have the light of life. And so what he's basically saying is like, you know, just like God gave you deliverance, my father gave you deliverance with the pillar out of Egypt, I'm the light of the world. I'm here to give you deliverance from your greatest enemy, sin and 
death. And so just like the pillar was protection from you, from your enemies, Jesus says later in his teaching, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. So, so trust me to defend you, to protect you. Uh, and just like the pillar of the fire was a reminder of God's presence, <laughs> when John was writing the gospel, very first chapter, when he's describing Jesus, he calls Jesus the word. And he says, the word became flesh and he lived among us. The word lived literally means tented. He tabernacled with us. Like from the very beginning, when, when John was describing and identifying Jesus, he said, this is God who came to be with us, the very presence of God. So Jesus just stepping in and saying, man, the pillar was great back then, but here I am. Like I am the light of the world. Okay, so what ensues, like the rest of almost two chapters is a debate because not everybody's seeing this, particularly uh, the Pharisees, religious leaders, weren't buying this. They weren't buying who Jesus was. And it was interesting, after Jesus made that first statement about him being the living water, the Pharisees sent some people to go arrest Jesus. Like, hey, go shut that guy up. Let's arrest him. And when the officers came back, they came back empty-handed. And they said, why didn't you arrest him? It's like, you should have heard his teaching, man. It was amazing. He spoke with such authority, and it's like, Ugh! like they didn't get him. And so what you see throughout this narrative is that other people are seeing and believing. Like in John 8.30, it says, here's Jesus making these proclamations in the temple, and people are starting to believe in him. But there's this hardcore group of people that don't, the Pharisees, and they debate with Jesus about who he is and uh, where he's come from and, and what his mission is. And so you will always see unbelief uh, is just, just pummels with questions, like relentless questions. Lori and I have had a conversation recently where it didn't matter what we said, there was just the next question and the next question and the next question. And so that's kind of what Jesus is bumping into here with uh, these Pharisees. And so What's interesting when you study the I am statements, there's seven of them. With three of them, Jesus gives a sign to back up what he says. So last week we saw a sermon from Wade when he talked about Jesus said he was the bread of life. Do you remember the miracle that was associated with that when Jesus fed 5,000 people, right? When he provided bread. You'll see another one in a couple weeks where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life and he raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? So in this situation, he says, I am the light of the world. And in chapter nine, so he's had this kind of debate going with the Pharisees. And so to kind of give a sign to kind of prove who he is, um, if you pick it up in nine, verse one, let me find it in mine. Uh, here we go. It says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because in Jesus' day, there was this teaching and thought that if you were sick or if you were born blind, like somebody did something wrong. That's a judgment, okay? And we, we don't believe that. Sometimes uh, bad things can happen to us because of a consequence of our sin. But we believe now we live in a broken world, and that's why there's things like death and disease. But these guys were immediately, these skeptics were making a beeline. This blind guy sinned, or his parents sinned. And so... Uh, Jesus responded to that, and he said, it was not this man who sinned, or his parents, uh, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so there again, he makes that phrase again. And then in verse 6, it says, and having said these things, he spit on the ground, and he made mud with the spit. Uh, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom. And he went and washed 
and he came back seeing. So Jesus is saying, if you want, if you want some authority, you want, you want me to kind of show you that I'm not just making this stuff, that I'm the light of the world, um, here, let me, let me show you. And so he opens the blind man's eyes. And so, uh, again, we don't know immediately from this how many people believed in Jesus, but I do know the Pharisees did not. Okay, so they, they continued, like, so they first started doubting this guy wasn't really blind. So they start asking around people who said, yeah, he was blind. Well, I don't believe you. Like, so they brought his parents in, like, was your son blind? It's like, yeah, he was. Well, how'd he get healed? Don't ask us. Like, ask him. He's old enough to know. Like, they're just relentless in their question, question. And so finally, they pull this guy aside, and they go, so did that man heal you? And well, yeah. And so he's like, but don't you know he's a sinner because he healed you on his Sabbath? What's he doing? And he says, just a classic line. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm lost. So um, the, the guy says, all I know is this, I was blind, but now I see. Like this guy still doesn't know who Jesus is, right? He just, he hasn't met him. He was blind. Like how could he have seen him? And so what, if I could just pause there, that miracle is in a, you know, sometimes you think about the glory of God, you think about his power, and you think about, you know, the pillar of fire, and how about some glory happening right there? Like this man did nothing to deserve being healed, like, except that part of God's glory is that he's incredibly gracious with needy, broken people like us. Like he just like, let me heal you, right? So uh, that's a demonstration of the glory of God too. So, so I was blind and now I see. Like that's all a guy could say. Like I, I, don't, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. And they still did not believe this man and they kicked him out of the temple, which was huge. It's basically like excommunication, cutting him off from all life in his society, just kind of casting him aside. And what I love about this story is that Jesus circles back with him, and he asks him the question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the, the, the man who was blind said, um, and who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And then the blind man said, uh, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Like, what a what a beautiful moment, again, in the contrast of people not seeing who Jesus is, rejecting him, constantly pummeling with questions. Here's a man that received the glory of the grace of God, had his eyes opened. He's been cut off. He's, it's cost him now socially, but his eyes see. He meets Jesus, and he worships Jesus. Boom. That's, that's what Jesus is after. He's after opening our eyes so we can truly see who he is, that he truly is the light of the world, that as we truly follow him, then we will have the light of life. If we were asked Jesus this morning, what's the biggest takeaway, Jesus? What do you want us all to get today? And he says, I just want my people to see who I am. I am the light of the world. Guys, I am your greatest hope. And so you break down those three things that people were so amazed at with the pillar of fire, you know, that they had deliverance from their greatest enemy from Egypt. Jesus said, I just wish my people would have their eyes open and see that I am their deliverer, like that he's here to deliver us from sin, uh, the penalty of sin, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, he died for you. He died in your place. He graciously offers, again, you guys can fight for number two sinner in this room. I'm number one, but he died for people like us uh, and that all we need to do is receive his gift of eternal life. That Jesus, you took my sin, you give me your life, I put my faith in you, I'm going to follow you. That's, that's when you are set free 
from your greatest enemies of sin and death, all right? And so if you've done that before, Jesus would be thrilled with that. If you haven't, Jesus this morning would say, let's go, let's do that. Like, trust me, explore who I am and what I've done for you. But I would say to us that have already even done that, there's still more work that Jesus would love to do with sin in our lives. Like, I, I think sin is, sin is kind of like cockroaches. Like, it loves to hide in dark places. And I would imagine there's, there's maybe every one of us this morning has those dark places in our lives that Jesus in his grace just says, come on, let's, let's just get that out. Like, let's confess that. Let's bring that up to someone else so that you can see victory over that sin or that addiction or that habit. Um, and, and we've seen how gracious Jesus is. He just healed a blind man who didn't deserve it. He would forgive any one of us in this room of any sin that we have not confessed yet. You know, the gauge here, I should have said this earlier. I think the gauge of, do you really see Jesus as your light? I think the clearest gauge is joy, okay? So like, remember in that festival, they described it as the most joyous time because they're celebrating the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God. He's with us, he's for us, and they celebrated. I think if we truly see Jesus for who he is, uh, joy, you can't shut off the joy. It's going to be what flows out of us. And so in this first one, that he's our deliverer from our greatest enemies, um, there, there is a joy robbing that happens in our hearts when we hide sin or when we try to pretend um, and we don't come clean. And Jesus would say, I'm the light of the world. Let's come clean. Let me, let me forgive you and let me set you free of guilt, shame, and let me give you joy, all right? So, so he sets us free. Uh, he's our greatest deliverer. I think also that he's our protector. Remember that, that, that reference in Exodus about how he protected them from the Egyptians? Jesus would say the same thing, that I am here to protect you, and so I'm here to give you peace. Uh, again, the concept, I think, of um, a Christian who's worrying, that should be an oxymoron. Like, that, sh that does not make sense. Like, if we are truly following uh, the, the creator of the universe, if we are truly following the glorious God, if he is truly with us, then why should we be afraid? And so, you know, oxymoron, jumbo, jumbo shrimp, think of cyclone success, you know, things that just don't, don't mash up, right? So, so scared Christian, like that doesn't make sense. Like God is with you, for you. And so that's one way too, you'll understand, like, do I really see who Jesus is, that he's the one who protects me? And when Jesus says, I give you peace that the world can't give. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. And so, so are we really seeing Jesus? Uh, I look at our joy gauge, I look at our fear gauge, right? And this last one about his presence with us, just like, just like the people were assured of God's presence with them at the pillar, um, when you follow Jesus, you follow one, you follow God who has come to be with us. So every day, every second, every square inch you walk and go, you're in the presence of your God, who is for you, who is with you. And again, the confidence that brings you, the joy that brings you, is off the charts. And it's interesting, I hope you caught the phrase where Jesus said, I'm the light, not just of the Israelites, or I'm the light of the Old Testament, but he said, I'm the light of the world, all right? So in uh, Isaiah, there's a couple prophecies about the Messiah coming. About 700 years later, Isaiah saw that the prophet who was, the Messiah who was coming, would be called the light of the world. And so uh, that's happening today. Like if you, uh, we've, Parkview supports global workers in different parts of the world. Um, one of the most exciting areas for me is the Middle East. 
where there have been more Muslims who have come to Jesus in the last 20 years than in the previous 1,400 years. Uh, yeah, the previous 1,400 years. And so it's fun to hear we've got global workers in northern Iraq, in Jordan, in Egypt, and just to hear the stories of what's going on. The church is growing in Iran in unprecedented ways, in a place where it's so, the gospel is so oppressed. So Jesus is the light of the world. And so if you read through some of the Old Testament too, God's plan was for the nation of Israel to be the light of the world. They, they relinquished that. They did not fulfill that. But now, do you remember when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to his followers, you are the light of the world. And so that's us this morning, that Jesus is the light of the world. But then as we just grab the life that he's giving us, as we see him as the God who is with us, who's for us, who delivers us, then Jesus says, you will have the light of life. So we break huddle today. We go to our neighborhoods. You go to work tomorrow. You go to school tomorrow. Uh, wherever you're going tomorrow, you go, uh, having seen Jesus is the light of the world, then you go. Jesus says, you follow me. You will have the light of life. You go and you take that light wherever you go. That you show what does it look like to not trust in yourself or identify yourself, not to look to our stuff to satisfy us, but what does it look like to walk humbly with, a, with an amazing God who's been gracious with us so we can be gracious with whoever's in our lives, who's been generous with us so we can be generous, uh, who is strong so we can be strong in any situation. We can put the gospel on display. So that's my prayer for me tomorrow as I hit my week, for you guys, for this church, uh, for all three campuses of Parkview, that we just, that we live our lives with Jesus, the light of the world, so that then he can commission us and say to us, you, you are the light of the world because you know me you walk with me, and you live closely with me. So let's pray uh, as we wrap this up.